Welcome back to another episode of Textual Healing. I'm Mallory Smart. Today, I'm joined by Dennis James Sweeney, author of You're the Woods 2. In this episode, we get into his writing process, nature, what it means to be a bro, how location affects the way you relate to other people, and finally get into the perfect soundtrack for You're the Woods 2. My favorite selection was from Tegan and Sarah. But off that real quick, before diving into the show, be sure to check out our Patreon, follow us on Twitter at PodHealing, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. But now, with no further ado, here's Dennis. So, how's it going? Oh, it's good. Um, I'm locked in this little soundproof room, like... And it's like super weird and unfamiliar, but it's kind of kind of nice and dark, and I need that level of like quiet in my life right now. I mean, your writing definitely gives that vibe, anyhow. So, yeah, <laughs> like searching for and not quite attaining the quiet. Exactly. So you're in your happy place right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For real. Life is life is wild. I'm How about just you? literally imagining you in like a tiny closet hovered over a computer. That's like that's literally the image. Yeah, there's like a little bit of purple because like the mascot at the college where I work that created this booth is like purple. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of purple in the quiet, and and it's perfect. I would say purple is my favorite color. Oh, for real? Legit, yeah. That's awesome. That's a really strong favorite color. Yeah, I never know like when it becomes too, like, lame to say what your favorite color is. Like, I don't know if, like, past certain ages, like, I'm going to keep that to myself or... No way, you're totally in the clear. Yeah, I feel like I've just started um, maybe in the last, like, five years finally taking ownership of pink as my favorite color. And it it used to be, like, orange when I was, like, a kid. But I think it was actually because I really liked pink and I was just, like, afraid to talk about it. Now it's, it's good, so I think, like... You know, it's, it's an open road. Okay, so I have to ask that this is so dorky because there's so many different fun shades of pink. On a scale of, like, say, Barbie pink and millennial pink, where are you? Oh, my God, what is millennial pink? It's, like, one of the lightest shades of pink I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Uh, I, probably not that one. I'm, like, magenta. Like, it makes your eyes want to explode pink. Okay, I dig that. Yeah, it's just if I'm going in, I got to go all in. Exactly. (laughs) So I am very excited that you wanted to be on. I know it took us a while to schedule it, but that's my life these days. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm so excited too. Like, I feel like we met in Denver, like, I don't know, probably a million years ago, roughly. It's a different lifetime. (laughs) It really was, yeah. But it's just been so cool, like, following what you're doing and, like, just you're doing so much in the literary world. I I have no idea how you do it. That makes both of us. Yeah. Uh, I I would say coffee and stubbornness. That's awesome. Those are my go-to things. But um, you've been writing quite a bit lately from I've been looking into your website. Yeah, I've been trying to do stuff. I... Weirdly, it's like I haven't been, I'm always kind of writing, you know, like my practice has always been like try to do, you know, an hour or so in the morning when I can most weekdays. And like the weird thing is I've just been doing that for long enough that like suddenly I have all these things that I wrote and 
and it's more like they're just getting published now. You know how that is. Like you can write something and then it gets published like seven years later or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's happening to me to some extent, but it is kind of like a moment of fruition for me. Like it's cool to cool to see this work come into the world and like kind of be seen for it in a way that I was just like sitting with it a lot um, in the past and just kind of being like, okay, this is like something I did. And now I'm like, oh, this is something I did that like other people can look at. And now I'm like incredibly embarrassed and I have to like negotiate all that stuff. It's a new phase. I mean, it's the best phase as a writer. Yeah. Do you, do you dig that? Like, I thought I really liked it, but then now I'm like, I don't know. Does it give back to the work for you? I don't know. A little bit. You're not doing good unless you're overthinking it like crazy. Let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah, like you should be overthinking it like crazy. Yeah, you should just always be in this like really weird area of self-doubt. Oh, Of sweet, like yeah. this is either genius or this is the worst thing I've ever done. And you have to keep <laughs> vacillating between those two thoughts or else it's so not awful. good. Yeah, well, I'm doing great then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think like the people I most admire like in the literary world are people who can take that tension and like you said, just inhabit it and be cool with you know, not being settled and with always asking questions and like still hold some kind of like calmness or space for other people. I think that's like what, why, you know, releasing these things into the world is like good for me now. It's like, okay, how do I actually like take something I was able to do for myself, like in the quiet and do that in the context of like when there's a lot more noise and I have a lot more anxiety and um, like, it feels like, you know, more of a generosity to do it in the moment so I don't know that's that's the kind of person I'm trying to become you know I'm very curious when people start getting their work out there like suddenly when they've been working on it for a while do you feel like exposed at all yeah that's cool yeah 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 wow yeah I feel like you just like opened something up and I was just like oh my god you're right (laughs) no it's like I had a conversation with a friend once where I eventually had to be like I'm coming out as a writer to you yeah did it feel exposing? A little bit, because then immediately they're like, I need to see everything you've written. And I was like, oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I, I like, never would let family members or friends or, like, anybody look at something until it was, like, published and I could be, like, distant from it. The idea of, like, sending somebody, like, a file, it's, like, something terrifyingly sort of intimate about that. It's, like, you, like, need that distance a little bit. I don't know. I kind of, like, need that distance to... uh to be able to process it at all, you know. Are you one of those people that, like, one and done, you finished it and you're good to go? Or do you need anyone to beta read first? Like, how's your process? I thought I was like that, and I really wanted to be like that. Like, all right, I can just do it, and it's great. (laughs) But I don't know. My processes ended up involving, like, tons of going back and revising, like, a million times. Like, okay, this is the draft. It's done. And then two years later, I'm like, yeah, I need to look at this again and I spend another year on it, you know, and it's just like, it's maddening and, and, you know, but I think as a person, I've always been like super reluctant to ask for help or accept it in any way. So like, it's kind of the universe telling me, okay, you got to, uh, you got to like appreciate other people's opinions about your stuff, you know? Do you have like, a selected like squad of people that you trust your work with like where it's like I know you're not going to hurt me with your opinions 
Uh, you know, like I'm, I'm like not even there yet. I feel like partially cause I was like in academic institutions for, you know, a long time. So like a lot of my work was getting read by like thesis advisors and like peers and workshops and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I never like found people like a group of people, like people always say you're supposed to do to like send my stuff to. So a lot of times it's like, usually in conversation with editors or something. Um, and every once in a while, you know, I'll share something with my partner and like, you know, I'll be like, please just tell me this isn't the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. And <laughs> I don't want any, any other feedback than that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's something I need to work on, you know, just like developing those long-term like writing relationships. I don't know. Do you, do you have like a lot of stuff like that? I have a couple people that they're my people, the only ones that I'll trust with my work. Because I know, like, I want their criticism. They're going to give it hardcore to me in a way that it's not going to actually hurt me. Yeah, it's like there's so much trust there. And I, I don't know, it's, like, hard to hard to build that, you know? And I think, like, yeah, I really should have at earlier times in my life. But I think, I don't know, in a way, like, that's that's the trust with, like, readers and stuff, too. Like, you're, you're putting something in the world. You have to trust people to to read what you've written in a way I, I don't know it really is like a thing in process for me and I'm like oh my god like I need to have more conversations about this stuff I don't know why this like popped up into my mind because it was one of those things like where you were saying that I immediately like had something going on where I was like oh I, I wouldn't write for that reason or whatever do you find the reader important when it comes to your writing or is it like is the work the most important thing yeah, it's such a tension, I think. I, for me, I definitely have to forget about the reader at first and just kind of please myself. Like, what's something I'm super excited about and super interested in? If I'm, like, thinking about what somebody else is going to care about, like, I'm immediately going to shut myself down because, like, I kind of have this low-key feeling that, like, probably nobody cares about anything that I'm going to do. Um, you know, it's like that voice of self-doubt and stuff. So I kind of got to let that go. But I think it comes back in in the revision process for me, like, that's where I'm like, okay, let me take this like amorphous like explosion of energy and feeling or whatever it may be. And like, let me take this and make it into something that another person can experience in a way that's like not completely disorienting and like a little bit pleasurable. Um, yeah. So I guess th that's probably why like revision is really like takes forever and is kind of hard for me, but like, I also have to do it a lot because it's like, it's just, yeah, important to that process of, like, coming across to somebody, I guess. It's very transactional. Yeah, is it? That, that's definitely a vibe I feel when I start immediately, like, being like, and what would the reader think? I, I got a note recently about something I'm writing, and the editor's like, this is an amazing opening. Torture the re reader more. And I was like, what? How, how the fuck do I do that? So now I just have to keep, like, imagining what the reader is experiencing with this, like, opening I did. And I was just like, I don't know how to torture them more. Yeah, oh, my God. That's what an intense thing for somebody to ask you to do. I know. Like, I was just like, I, I wasn't going for sadism here. Um, yeah. I don't I mean, know how to get that feeling out of people. Like, maybe they'll just get it themselves. But, I don't know, for me, it's more, like, all about this is my writing, this is what I do, and I rarely think of the reader until someone else brings it up. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I, I like, really respect that type of 
I guess, like, vision for your writing. I feel like my, my favorite writers are all that way. Like, they, there's, like, this sense of, like, yeah, this is my thing, and it's up to you. Like, you can, you can sort of take it or leave it. I think it's because mentally I tend to check out once the book is out there. Ah. Uh. <laughs> and it, it was actually advice that was given to me by a friend. They're a YouTuber, or I think they do Twitch now. I don't know. People have gone from platform to platform. But he was very much into the don't pay attention to what people say. Even if it's good, you're going to get, like, hyped online to see the good stuff. That you're going to suddenly find all the bad stuff. And he's like, just do the work, and then just, like, let it float out there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I really want to learn how to do that. I, I feel like, weirdly, my the sort of, like, hovering voice or vision of other people is, like, as much as I want to just be like, this is what I do, like, you know, forget about it. I feel like somehow, like, you know, I've been formed by, like, these sort of experimental writing communities and, like, you know, small press, like, indie literature and people who are, like, doing the thing and not trying to be commercial. And I also have this, like, part of me that I don't know if it's, like, from... Sometimes I it's, like, a voice in my head of, like, my parents um, or, like, my mom, you know, like reading books of mine like sometimes my mom would read something I read and be like you know I don't understand it but I think it's great and like you know it's always like really generous and cool but I sort of had in the back of my mind like I want to write something that like you know there won't be that thing of like I don't understand it but it's great it's like it's just it's just great and I like sort of do understand it so there's like this weird tension for me between like total tolerance for stuff that is just like not thinking about the reader at all and then this other side of me that's like like wants to communicate to people who aren't already uh like initiated into like you know certain forms of like small press like experimental reading and stuff like that you know (sighs) i mean i I think that's the true test of a writer is whether what they're writing is actually something that can translate to people who aren't also writers yeah and it's hard to know because like most of the time if you're doing like the beta reads or, or talking to editors or whatever, like it's, it's writers or it's people in the literary world. It's a very incestuous community. <laughs> yeah. How do you like get the, the real word from somebody who's like not already part of it? I have yet to figure it out, but I mean, slowly I have some like other people. I'm going to call them the normies. The normies have slowly started reaching out to me. I'm like, oh, you're reading my stuff too now. Okay. I've broken through where it's not just all my literary friends who are doing it. Oh, that's super cool. That's got to feel really nice to like make that connection. Yeah. Just beyond the like inner circle type of stuff. Sort of. I'd like to hit the normies a bit more. (laughs) I'm not quite sure. Like, I guess that shows that I'm not a normie. I wish I was. Yeah. But what's super weird about like, like, you know, normie stuff as it were, like, is, is that whatever is sort of like gets like the money and and power of like uh, big publishing or like publicists or whatever behind them. Like those are the things that end up like being mainstream and, like, that people end up being cool with, like, tolerating. I, it was kind of like, remember when, like, uh, Jenny Offal was publishing, like, Department of Speculation and stuff, which is, like, super disjunctive and, like, totally, for me, it was, like, something people in the small press world have been doing for, like, years. And and then it got published by, like, some big five press. And 
Um, that I just number think is getting smaller to... and smaller these days. But yeah, I know, right? Yeah, like big one press. Just the big press. Yeah, exactly. And then like everybody, like a bunch of people who like weren't into that sort of experimental stuff were like, oh, like how about this book? You know, I was like, how they just made like this aesthetic mainstream. So it's almost like if you put enough like power behind something, you can like almost make anything mainstream. I don't want that to be too like doomsday, like, oh, it's, you know, the really good stuff won't rise to the top or whatever. But it, it like is weird how like, people can tolerate anything. So. Really? There's an audience for everything. Yeah, totally. If you make people believe, you know. I mean, I've seen some of the weirdest TikToks in the world and be like, wow, there's a whole audience for that. So every time you think of, like, your writing, just be like, think of the weirdest video you've ever seen on TikTok and know that there's an audience behind that. Yeah, that, that's so true. I feel like that format is so tolerant of just, like, stuff that is totally off kilter and, like, makes no sense. That's, like, kind of inspiring. <laughs> it is a little bit, especially when you think about how off kilter your writing is. Yeah. Not said yeah. in a bad way. I never know if people are like off kilter is bad or good. Super good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's totally. I I think uh, at some point my sister was like like people on TikTok like get so many views and like you should do a book talk thing and I considered it super hard for like 15 minutes. I was like, yeah, maybe I can like start being fashionable and like, you know, having good stuff to say that's sort of discernible. And, and then I was like, no, I would make one video and then just disappear. But. I've been doing a slow burn, trying to like do TikTok just a little bit. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm a millennial. This one wasn't made for me. I know. it's You can like feel that generational gap. Like, I, yeah, I was born in 88 and it's just like, like there's actually something in my body that like doesn't work with like the format and the specific type of humor and like, yeah. Yeah, like, the fact that, like, the way the screen is now is, like, totally different. It's, like, opposite to the way we hold a camera or phone, whatever we want to call them. <laughs> the same uh, thing. Yeah. Like, it's, like, vertical. Yeah. Which bothers the hell out of me because we spent so many years making our fun horizontal. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It and is. that's, like, how movies are. That's how, like, computer screen, like, everything and suddenly this app comes and it's like, flip that phone back around. Oh my God, that's so true. Yeah, at some point I was like trying to figure out like, how do you get good at Instagram? And they were like, yeah, just take like vertical pictures instead. I was like, I can't, not going to do it. It, it is work. against our nature now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm curious though, like, because I've seen book talk and everything. What would you have done if you were on it? Ah. Uh, Okay, I think I would, like, go on and I would do, like, just super, like, I don't know, kind of weird, poetic, like, surfery, uh, like, book reviews of stuff that I just read. Like, check out this book. You know, I just read Vicky Now's Fish Carcass, and, like, it's so weird. It has, like, these, you know, pieces of food talking to each other, and it's, like, split into these different sections that are emerging from the body, like, this crazed flow of... Did it, you know, like, I don't know. I'd, I'd, the problem is, like, I thought I would be eloquent, but then the second I try to start doing it, I just, like, start saying words. <laughs> they don't make sense. But I think, like, that would be the vibe uh, of my ideal book talk self. I would definitely watch that. Yeah. I'd be What's one of your, your followers. 
Oh, sick. Thank you. Yeah, maybe it's not too late. It's <laughs> What's your vibe late. on there? Like, how do you... Oh, I literally just do textual healing. I do uh, excerpts of the interviews if they're assigned, like, that someone said something that was really cool or interesting. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that'll so do it. You might end up on TikTok because of this. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 If I get enough likes, I'll go on BookTok and become a cool book reviewer. I don't know. Exactly. Like, yeah, I this will be so meta. I will release a TikTok about us talking about TikTok. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That makes me really happy. <laughs> <laughs> I, But I kind of, like, you got to go with the, like, long format, you know? That's, like, why the podcast format and, like, what you do is so cool because, like, that's when you can really bring out the, like, some weird depthy stuff. I don't know. I Yeah, I'm totally, like, a millennial. I'm like, yeah, the short short form whatever is bad, but, like, whatever. That's, like, exactly what I do in my writing. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> So you just, I, I don't want to say just, it, not like it just came out, but You're the Woods too. I guess it did just come out, right? Yeah, like end of May, beginning of June, pretty okay. recently. So we're in the right season still. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> well, it's 100 degrees here. I don't know what it is by you, but. Oh my God, in Chicago? Yeah, it's hot. I'd say hot enough to fry an egg, but I tried that once and that really doesn't actually work. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, I, yeah, like, it's pretty epic that you tried it. It's been weirdly, like, cloudy here. It's, like, 70 degrees and, like, super nice. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry to report, but. Uh, that's not fair, but okay. We'll fantasize. <laughs> definitely not fair. We had some hot ones, though. Yeah, we're going through a heat wave. It'd be like that. But for You're the Woods too. Obviously, is very off kilter. There's a lot of meta moments. Um, what made you write that? Obviously, did you go all in at once, or were you just doing bits by bits, like for years, like you were saying earlier? Yeah, it was. It was definitely the bits by bits. Like, I, I got really obsessed with Moss, and I was like trying to figure out a way to write about it, and doing all these kind of like imitations of like scientific entries on moss and like what happens if i like use the language of like scientific description to like do something like literary and weird so just like messing around with that for a long time and while i was doing that like i I kind of like started writing this other series about like these like men who go out in the woods and try to find themselves and weird surreal stuff happens um and then at that time i also like went on this residency and like hand wrote this this kind of like documentary essay type thing about um, what I was what I was doing during those seven days, kind of like a real time essay. Um, so a lot of those were developing at the same time, and then like getting revised over the course of years. Um, but then later on, I added the italicized sections, which kind of like bring the whole book together and like add the central narrative and stuff. So so that kind of later came later when I was like I finally understood because I had a lot of other parts too, like stuff that didn't make it into the book, things about nature and like going out in the woods. And eventually, I was like, all right. I know this is something I have to like write toward like what it is collectively. So yeah, I, I ended up playing it together with those italicized sections and it feels like that was always what the book wanted, but it just, yeah, it just takes me forever to like learn that, you know, to just sit with the work and not even do anything with it. And then like one day I'm like, okay, all right, that's what this is. So where did the fascination with nature come from? Have you always been that way? 
No, I I was like very an indoor person. Like I was like I don't know. Um, I've always like been kind. Of, I guess indoor outdoor. Like I've been a person who just want to huddle inside. I just want to read. Like I just want to concentrate and work or whatever. And um, but then at some point, like I met this friend of mine in college who was like very cool outdoorsman who like did a lot of we started rock climbing together we uh like he took me camping for the first time um and then like I got into running we ended up doing some really intense running stuff in the Rocky Mountains and like I started like doing trail running living in Colorado and so weirdly like against my nature I like discovered all this stuff and started getting weirdly hardcore about uh like how tough and strong I was gonna be like running in the Rockies at altitude and like having times when I would like I'm imagining you like in a Patagonia commercial but (laughs) yeah exactly like I wasn't like yeah quite doing the magazine spread stuff you know but like there was definitely some moments most of it was like pain you know it was like I'm at the top of this mountain I have no more like calories in my body so I can't like continue moving but like there's no road and I'm just like screwed. I just have to like get down somehow. So that kind of stuff would always happen because I was always like push myself too hard. So yeah, I I don't know if I was trying to like prove something or, or if I really loved it, you know. I think it's a little little bit of both. Do you still do stuff like that? I I'm still kind of like a workout bro a little bit like I I like to go to the gym and like do See, stuff with my body when you call yourself a bro you are have disqualified yourself as a bro bros so are not self-aware oh, yeah I'm, I'm kind of like hoping I, I'm glad yeah because like yeah I just it can feel so so that and like yeah it's coming kind of coming from a different place in me because I have all this bro like energy I like played football in like junior high and a couple years in high school and like just was like really part of like I don't know like kind of bro culture I went to like an all boys like Catholic school for high school but I also like never was that and I always felt like really like um sort of weird and like anxious and in ways I didn't like totally admit to myself till later on but yeah there's always been this tension between like ah, like, I kind of like to watch football games, even though, like, ah. And and at the same time, you know, I'm just like, I just want to read, like, experimental poetry and, like, hide under a blanket, you know. I can somewhat understand your having to only recently come to grips with the fact that you like pink. Re- yeah, right? Yeah. That's where it's coming from. Yeah, okay. Like that, That's definitely giving me a much better idea. Because, like, when I see pictures and everything of you and, like, all my perception of you, I just never once got bro or jock at all. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think like. Not in like the bad ways, at least. No. Yeah. I feel like that's partially, you know, how I represent myself. Maybe I got to do like the next photo shoot where I have like, I don't know, like what do bros wear? Like, you know, a lot of them, I don't know what bros are anymore. I mean, I know that like Gen Z, they're like fuck boys or something. And they have that like weird perm top. I got to get up with the culture so I can, like, know what I'm even, like, not doing ostensibly. Yeah. yeah the only reason I know is I have too many people in my family. What's that? The only reason I know any of this stuff is I have too many people in my family. So I've seen almost every, like, sub-click there is. 
Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, do you you have like people who are like like in the quote unquote younger generations now? Yeah, I have eleven nieces and nephews. So yeah, they rank from you know, I really want to insist one of my nieces is a millennial, but whatever. She says she's Gen Z. Gen Z all the way to I think we're calling them Alpha. Whoa. Yeah. Who is Alpha? I think they're anyone who's under the age of like twelve. Oh my gosh, that's wild. Is it so like what have you learned? Like is it like humbling or like awesome to kind of be up with what's happening? You know, it's one of those things where it's just a whole different vibe. I'm always having to learn the new words. They're always coming up with weird trends that it's like, okay, now that's the thing. They pivot a lot quicker than we did. Yeah, pivot like like in terms of their like ideas and stuff like that. Ideas, fashion, wording, beliefs, all of it. Yeah. They pivot so hard and so fast. And like one day you're talking to them and they're like, Kanye deserves so much more respect. Team Kanye, we think he has mental health issues and we need to be on his side to fuck Kanye. Taylor Swift is the greatest human being ever and he is an asshole. Yeah. That'll happen like within 24 hours with these people. Yeah. That's super weird. Yeah, I feel like like definitely for me, like moving the needle is like turning around like a cruise ship or something. It takes like years. I feel like I'm teaching mostly uh, like college students. So like mostly people, you know, between like 18 and 22 right now. And, and so those are mostly the people outside of my generation or younger than me that I'm interacting with these days. Like, yeah, I don't know what, what I are can they say like in college. Like, well, what are they like in college? Cause I mean, I've only witnessed like the high school years down. Yeah. I, you know, honestly, it's like super inspiring and awesome. Cause like everybody seems really on point and like I'll bring up conversations that I think are really important about like you know I kind of correcting wrongs that like I perceived to exist during my own education you know and I'll like try to sort of bring up conversations about these or whatever and the students are just like oh yeah like we're totally that we're way beyond that conversation like why are we even talking about this and they're like they just have some other great idea about how to actually like enact what needs to happen or yeah, it's actually, it's really cool because I sort of see my own irrelevance and like everybody's really nice and they, um, they get something out of the class and like we have a good conversation. But like, I think the cool thing is they see something that I'm teaching that's already done and then they kind of like get the opportunity to like realize like what they're already doing. Uh, that's kind of vague and abstract, but like, uh, they're kind of awesome. Plus, like, they, they'll laugh at my jokes, even if they're, like, definitely millennial jokes that are, they're kind of, like, laughing more at me than with me. They'll still, like, be really nice about it. And they probably want a good grade. Yeah, yeah, I mean. I have laughed at some nice. pretty bad teacher jokes. I've, I've laughed at them. It's all right. I'm still going to pretend that, like, you know, that it's just, like, a generosity. <laughs> or you're the funniest person ever. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm definitely not that. I have like colleagues who are like legit funny. That's like the, the, what they do, you know, they have humor. Sometimes I'll just like try to crack a joke in class and people are just like, why, why did you do that? Do your jokes come off as dad jokes or teacher jokes? I feel oh like they're God. very similar, but there is a distinct difference. 
Totally. Yeah. I, you know, like, I think I've really got in touch with the dad joke thing since I became a dad. Like I, we had a baby two years ago and, um, and he's awesome. And it really gives me permission to be like goofy and like lean into that thing. Like I never understood the attraction of it, but like, there's just something about like saying something that's going to like annoy everybody, but like also kind of get everybody fired up that like it's very dad vibe that I'm kind of like good with I like the idea of having a child gives you a permission to do certain things yes yeah I mean like if I was cool you know I would have just given my permi- myself permission already <laughs> but some things you do need the parental card for but yeah. yeah yeah that's for real no I keep saying I'm gonna kidnap one of my nieces and nephews so I could actually go to playgrounds or something yeah, that you definitely need a kid for that one. Yeah. It's <laughs> too awkward. It's way too awkward. Yeah, or like even talking to other people's kids or being like, you know, I you like doing the baby voice with babies or whatever. I don't know. Maybe you're in the clear to do that no matter what, but I I like I don't know, it can be kind of like a wild looking person sometimes if I just like haven't brushed my hair and uh and I always just want to be like I have a kid. It's okay. Like I'm not the, um, kind of like deranged person that you may fear. <laughs> hey, just cause you have a kid doesn't mean you can't be deranged. So. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Like I totally am. <laughs> like you could be both of those. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally true. So was it hard actually writing this while you have a kid? I mean, or were you primarily done with it? I was mainly, like, done with putting it together. Uh, but I had to do a lot of editing. There was a lot of, like, editing going back and forth with, with the folks at SA Press, which is all really good for the book and always is, like, hard for me to return to it yet again. But, like, it was, uh, yeah, it was and is hard. I, I don't know. I try to have these, like, pockets of really intense concentration but, you know, it happens, it happens, it happens. It can I, get done. I keep imagining that, like, you said that you, like, started writing this a while back and, like, you had to be an entirely different person. And now looking back and having to, like, put it all together and finalizing it, did you ever get, like, this kind of imposter syndrome vibe? Yeah, yeah, there's so many layers. Like, I feel like I definitely got imposter syndrome vibe because I was going back and being like, well, who am I to speak for this person, you know, who's not me anymore, really? Mm-hmm. But I think I've started to kind of understand these processes of, like, becoming aware of, like, stuff you're doing that you're not proud of and then, like, processing it and putting it on the page and then, like, becoming aware of it yet again as you, like, edit it and think about it and yet again as you have conversations about it. For me, like, I'm starting to think about that as more like a cyclical version of, like, experiencing time so that instead of, like, that anxiety of representing somebody that I'm not, which is, like, definitely still there, I can lean more into the sense of, like, yeah, like, this is still in me and I'm going to, like, do another pass to, like, get even further in terms of how I'm thinking about how to, like, process and deal with it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, it's always, like, hard because you know, the wisdom, at least for me, like, feels like the wisdom you carry is, like, greater than 
the wisdom that the book you wrote carries, but like you can't keep editing it in real time. So you just have to live with what's there. And like, that's cool. I mean, I'm kind of okay with that, but at the same time, that's why it's like cool to talk about it. Like we're doing, cause then you get a chance to be like, Oh, let me try to like <laughs> catch the book up with like reality now, you know, which is like still in this constant state of revision. I just keep imagining how interesting it would be if an author was to do that almost annually, like rework the thing that they were like did. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, have you like heard stories of people who go back and they'll just like actually keep editing their books? Like famous, I guess famous people can do that. You know, it's like, Oh, just put out another edition or whatever. Like, it just sounds like such a nightmare. <laughs> like, the only thing worse than like not being able to do that is like actually doing it. Like, you'd never finish. You'd just be working on the same thing your whole life. I mean, that could actually be, like, it is literally the never-ending story. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be, like, even, like, two pages long, right? You could just keep revising it forever. And you could just do it like a Google Doc that everyone is around to, like, stare at and see all the random revisions and updates. It'd be cool. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, every time somebody tunes in, it's, like, a different, like slightly different story. I wish I had enough, like, Howard Hughes vibes where I could do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, like, definitely for a certain type of personality. I, my mind is definitely, like, I want to do a thing. I want to get really deep into it. And then I want to, like, wrap it up in a book form and be like, this is done. That's just, like, the magic of the book to me, just the sense of, like, containedness, even though it's, like, a false sense of containedness, like, you know like nothing can actually be contained or like put aside or put on a bookshelf or whatever like just the sense that you can like maybe pretend you did that for two seconds is is kind of like satisfying and somehow by setting things apart you can like inhabit that flow of like unboundedness a little bit more i don't know maybe well that's definitely no i definitely agree that once it's in like the book format you're just like and out bound to these ideas. Like, this is it. Yeah. I didn't think of, like, bound in that way. Yeah. Like, you're bound to the book, just like the book is bound. Exactly. Uh, I like that. We're getting trippy here, aren't we? Yeah, for real. <laughs> I love it. So, when you write, okay, so, like, I'm trying to imagine your style because I'm just, like, putting myself in your shoes as to how you would have written. I imagine now, like, going on a run or, like, hanging out in nature, camping, rock climbing. Probably not rock climbing, but, like, writing your thoughts on, like, your iPhone notes or whatever. I'm assuming you're an iPhone user. That was very presumptuous. What's your process? Do you do, you do it afterwards or during? Yeah, you know, I, I try to, especially, like, when I was writing this book, right now is kind of like, okay, here's this moment I have. Like, I'm on my computer. I just got to, like, get stuff down, but... When I had a little bit more space and sort of the time to experiment with process, like, I, I definitely would. Um, I think a lot, for me, a lot of, like, poetry type of stuff just kind of comes in the moment. Like, the more lyrical, lyrical sections of this book would just sort of come, like, ah, it's, like, 6 p.m., and I like just, like, had this line, and I just need to, like, sit down and write it down. Or, like, oh, it's, like whatever random time of day when I should be doing something else. And then some of the more like prosy sections are more like sit down, type it out on like a word document or whatever. 
But I think other things that I've done, like, not in this book, like, I've done stuff like go on runs with, like, a a recording device and just, like, talk into it and basically, like, tell a story, kind of do this, like, weird lyric essay thing, um, just, like, with my voice while I'm, like, running. And the the section of this book that's, um, that's, like, kind of runs through the whole thing, which is coming out of the seven-day, like, trip into the woods with um, somebody that I was dating at the time and, like, trying to navigate, you know, kind of the intimacy and all that sort of stuff. Like, that that was actually, like, every day on that trip, I would take this, like, handmade notebook and write in longhand, just, like, write this essay. Like, and if I didn't know what to say... You know, I would just sit there for, like, five minutes not not writing anything. And then I'd think of the next line, and, okay, here's the next line. Um, and so it has this this quality of, like, it's a little bit quiet, a little bit shifty because it's, like, shifting its attention. Um, but I, I definitely revised it and had to change a lot of things. But mostly the substance of that essay came from these, like, just seven days, like, writing sessions, sitting there and just thinking about what I was feeling, what I was perceiving. And so it was kind of cool in that it, it it feels like it, it's actually describing the time that it was in, whereas most of the stuff I've written is like kind of retrospective, you know. Mm-hmm. So you need that kind of silence to write, like where you could be very like in your own mind. Like, do you have to have everything blocked out around you? I feel like I do. Yeah, I hate to be like so precious, but it's just so hard for me to like concentrate and stay with the flow and I also think it's like something about like even if other people around if I can like see them there's just this sense of like duty to other people like I need to pay attention to other people and uh and it just takes my attention away from the thing I'm doing which is like I just like we were talking about like the intimacy of like sharing your work like it's just so intimate that moment of writing and I feel like I need to be like alone to be that vulnerable and like that kind of exposed, you know, as you said, I, how do you, what about you? Like, can you concentrate with other stuff going on at all? I can concentrate with other stuff going on, but I can't concentrate in public. Huh? I know. Very weird thing, but no, I mean, if I were at like a coffee shop or something, I would never be able to get signed done. A lot of people are like, Oh, your writers just take your laptop to Starbucks and, you know, finish some stuff up. And it's like, I can't do that. Like, that's a fun place. That's like a social place. I can't do that, even if everyone else is writing there. But because I come from a very big family, I am used to bustle. So I need sound going on while I'm working, but I need to like be on my own. So I'll have like the TV on, or right now I have Grey's Anatomy on in the background. It's on mute, don't worry. Or I'll just be listening to music and everything. I'll throw on a record if I actually think I can beat it because I hate having to get up and flip the record while I'm writing. Oh, wow. That's, that sounds really nice just to have that kind of bustle happening, filling the space a little bit. Like, I, I have this need where my mind needs to combat something in order to work, if that makes any sense. Oh, I love that. That's really cool. It, something you said reminded me of, like, the few times that I've lived in like really populous places, like the main time was I was living in Taipei, like right after I graduated from college and like teaching English. And like, it was just a really densely populated city. And 
but I was also like mostly alone because I didn't know that many people most of the time I was there. And like, there was just something like so nice about being around stuff happening, but like not really being a part of it that much. And, and it just made me feel really like kind of wondrous and like, like alive and also like really safe. I don't know if that's that same experience of sort of that you're talking about, but. Oh no, that sounds definitely right up there. (laughs) Yeah. That's really cool. Do you have, how big is your family? Like how many siblings do you have? I have four older siblings. Oh, that's awesome. So that's where the, that's where the nieces and nephews. Yeah, officially all of them have kids now. I, I'm the one holdout. I have a cat. That's amazing. Yeah, what's so cool when you have that many little kids in your life? Like, I don't know. It's just so cool to get to like dip in and out of their worlds and be there for them and stuff. I bet. That's why it's a little disorienting when you start seeing like the random shifts in their generation, and when you start seeing them get older, it's a little crazy. Like, wait until like you watch your child get older. It's gonna freak you out. Oh my gosh, totally. Yeah, even just like he learns a couple new words and I'm just like, oh no, <laughs> like not oh no, but like this is like a person who's truly gonna be way more on top of stuff than me. <laughs> like, like it's the, weird to become a part of the past, you know? Exactly, like you're slowly gonna be a side character in their story. Yeah, Ah. Oh. I know. At first, you're like, oh, I am the caretaker. I am the person. But, like, I have memories with one of my nephews where, like, I basically, like, watched him every summer, and now he's going to college. It's really weird. Wow. I know. It's just, like, you actually developed a personality. Where the fuck did that come from? Yeah. Time is so weird. Like, how do you you navigate that for your own self, you know, when... Because I feel like your own, like, power relationship with the world changes. I'm thinking about, like, as, like, a publisher and, like, sort of figure in the literary world and stuff, too. Like, how do you, how do you, like, when, you know, you're, like, kind of a young upstart or whatever. It's, like, your first year doing it. And I don't know. I, I guess we're all still young upstarts, right? But, like, when you've been doing it for longer and, like, you have, like, more community in place and stuff like that. Like, I always wonder how how things change when, like, at least in my case, I always was, like, defining myself against something. But, like, I don't know. I'm, like, when am I going to become the thing that other people are defining themselves against? And I, I don't, I'm sure people aren't doing that with you, but, like, it's just weird to, like, be in a position where you're, like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm that thing people are, like, learning from and then and then rejecting. <laughs> I mean, that's the fun thing, though, is that you never actually know. Yeah. Like what people's relationship is to you. Yeah. I mean, you really never really know what they're taking from like your writing, whether they're actually like seeing you now as the reference or the go-to person of I should be writing in this style or something. Oh my God, that's so true. Or they could be like, this person does not deserve to be on paper. At which point, fuck them. Is that the fun thing or like the terrifying thing? Oh my God. I'm not sure. I I get a rush of both vibes depending on the day. Yeah. It really depends on what you're bringing to the table that day. Yeah. Wow, that is, like, so cool to imagine, like, kind of the untamableness of people's responses to the stuff you're doing, though. I I don't know. It, like, feels like it takes a radical acceptance on, on my end to, like, 
be able to fully process and accept that. I mean, it is definitely a thing that you're going to slowly become more comfortable with, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's something I definitely got throughout, like, the whole literary thing. I love how it's like I'm not in literary thing, but I am very much. I have a book coming out in a couple months, but... (laughs) Oh, definitely, yeah. It is like a comfort, whereas before you're like, I'm the outsider trying to get in, and then you're like, oh, my God, I'm new to the party. And then slowly you're like, I am in the party. I've been in here for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. And then you're like welcoming other people to the party. I know, I'm being like, okay, if you don't know everybody, let me introduce you or whatever. Like, yeah, you're the go-to host then. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, how, how like confidently do you wear that? new position of like I don't know presence or locatedness or whatever I like to just kind of be like the confident person in the corner like if you need me I'm here but otherwise I'm not going to reach out to you that's a beautiful image I love that yeah like I I am the person minding my own business but if you would like me to help you assign I'm right here yeah that's super cool that's like a really generous space to to inhabit what's your new book i was just looking at your uh your ai book yeah i just saw that you got it oh my god like i just because i've been trying to stay away from like the chat gpt thing too like you were talking about in the intro i'm just like yeah whatever it's just a bunch of hype but like reading the stories i was just like uh yeah it just makes me feel really like uncomfortable because i don't know like who generated it and I don't know, like, it makes me realize that sort of the mythology behind a work, like, really influences how I think about it. And if I, if it's the machine, I want to be mad. If it's you, I want to be like, this is sweet. <laughs> like, or but I don't but you the collaboration know. or whatever. Like, that's my fun thing. I never like to tell anybody who wrote what or what wrote what. <laughs> yeah, it totally highlights the whole thing. And, and it's just like, kind of lets you marinate in that like weirdly slippery feeling. And it's really funny because, like, you'll have people be like, I see the AI did most of this. And it's like, no, no, that one was me. But go on. (laughs) Yeah, I was totally trying to parse it and be like, which one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to imagine almost like if... Have you ever, like, co-written anything with someone? Uh, A couple times. So you're kind of doing that almost where, like, you're kind of bringing yourself more to their level so it's like a collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... It's almost like a unified voice. Oh my god! So like, so does that mean you're like revising what you're giving the prompts? You're like kind of revising what they do, adding more of my own. Like, what would make the story better? What would give it more punch? Or yeah. maybe I'll start off the story entirely and be like, "This is just a random one I wrote." That's a really helpful way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think chat GBT is saying that people should fear, but I know that obviously it's going to be that way for a while. Yeah. Fear and like maybe a sense of like, ah, like exoticizing or something like that. Or like at some, at some point I feel like it's just going to come like a natural part of like culture and practice. Right now, I think there's a sense of, like, ooh, like, it's either really cool or really scary or, like, really something. Maybe eventually it'll just be, like, I don't know, keyboard or keyboards on a computer or something. Like, it's just kind of there and you use it. I like that the novelty of it has not worn off yet because that book I wrote, 
it came out New Year's Eve, um, but I, I think I finished it sometime in like December of that year. And the fact that like that was right when the hype was starting to begin and we are still here <laughs> and yeah. it's almost September and it's like, oh God, we haven't gotten over it yet. Yeah, I feel like maybe this whole decade everybody's going to be like into it. Like in a way, like I feel like uh, it's still like the smartphone era. Like people are still like excited about smartphones or something. And then like, and then like, I don't know, people stay excited about stuff like that for like a really long time. Maybe they not. Definitely do. No, yeah, they do. <laughs> I always think of like what like the hand, hand ringers and everything. They just won't like let go of certain subjects. Yeah, totally. It's it's hard to like accept these like huge technological changes, I guess, or whatever. But also like everybody wants something to write headlines about. Like that's why I've been had been ignoring it kind of. But yeah, now, now I'm just like, oh yeah, this can be like a thing, and and I don't even have to make a big deal about it or something. I mean, I'll say as a writer, I definitely had a fuck this vibe at first because my fiance was telling me about it and he's really into tech. So I was like, oh, hell no. Don't bring this tech shit into my world. Like, this yeah. is not for me. Totally. And then, like when he was just like, no, it, it, it's going to be able to write shit. And I was like, I can't write like how I could write. You can go fuck yourself. And then finally I just played with it and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as it turns out. Yeah. yeah, I like thinking about it from the point of view of like teaching creative writing, you know, I, a lot of my colleagues here or a couple of them in particular are kind of interested in what it can do for the humanities. And like, I'm not that deep into it, but like, I just keep thinking about how like, I don't know, creative writing, the whole personal expression thing is something that I think like can sound a little cheesy or like, I don't know, be kind of like a pat answer to like why we do creative writing. But I'm really deep, like kind of invested in, the sense of like doing writing and creating things as a method of like exploring, I don't know, like oneself or one's ideas or whatever, like a, a specific person in like a, like a conversational sense, you know, like a book is a cool chance to like start a conversation with somebody. It's like a cool chance to like bring something out that like actually happened to somebody or like whatever. And I don't know. I, I just feel like there's like some magic there that I hope is still going to be worth writing. You know, it's, like, not all about the product, right? It's, like, there's all this ambient stuff around the product that is, like, really cool, and and I don't I don't necessarily see how that can get replicated, but something, I mean, something else cool will happen, too. But. No, I, I think, you know, as you just basically said, the people who use AI or whatever, it's just strictly for the product. It's not necessarily, like, enhancing their own writing. It's not bringing new ideas of your own unique experience, I think, into the classroom or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, I guess. Well, yeah, that's why I like to chill everybody out that's been freaking out and be like, we just don't know yet. Yeah. It's not yeah. the Terminator, I think. I don't know. How have you, like, uh, achieved this level of chill? Because, like, I feel like I've received <laughs> receiving this vibe from you on, like, multiple fronts of, like, yeah, like, you just have to sort of, like, accept tensions and, like, you have to accept, like, like you know, what it's like to share your work with people and, like, just live in that vulnerability and stuff. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just, like, where did you, you get the... Where's the wisdom coming from? Honestly, I think it comes from the way that almost everyone gets it. I dealt with a lot of really bad 
like self-esteem issues and not being to like be able to accept other people's criticism or letting it hurt me too much or whatever I just eventually learned how to live with it and just to like not put a wall up against it but to just be like and it's there it exists but it's not existing in me yeah wow that's amazing the wonders of therapy right yeah for real I know I'm kind of like earlier than I should be in that journey but like yeah it really helps <laughs> yeah it really does because like again that helps where you bring it to another person and they're like you know what your head is way too into this separate yourself from it right now that is the book this is you this is the reader not the book or you it's like all right whatever yeah I the boundary stuff is so huge like I this is like kind of a weird random question but like because you grew up in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, so, like, kind of, like, not, it's definitely not the same. It's more, like, lower Midwest and stuff like that. But, like, I've been trying to think about if, like, my own, I don't know, like, white Midwestern upbringing or something, like, like has something to do with, like, the way that I experience or, like, don't experience boundaries with the world. Like, I feel like in a way sort of culturally I was like encouraged to like like not have boundaries with the world and like always trying to be accommodating for whatever was like happening externally and like sort of like take that stuff into my body I'm responsible for it too and like god knows you know it might just be how I am but I feel like like a lot of midwesterners that I meet I really like them I like like people from the midwest because like it's like there's this cultural like shared thing and like it feels like it has something to do with like stepping out of yourself a little bit and like, like working with those things that are like outside your boundaries. But if you like take it too far, it can be like sort of self-destructive. I don't know. Is that like, am I totally off the mark? Oh no, I definitely, I I feel that. I always wonder how us Midwesterners are able to get that out of the other Midwesterners. We're like, Oh, you're exactly from the same region I'm from. I can tell that from you. And yeah. Yeah. I, I think like I kind of learned about it when I moved up to new England and I think people are a lot more like bounded here, at least at first, like people were just not like not doing the Midwestern nice thing. And I used to get kind of offended, you know, it's like, what's the story. But, but then people would be really generous. Steeped in tradition and like everything there. Wouldn't they be? Yeah, I feel like everybody had been, like, like dealing with each lo- other long enough that they were like, I'm not going to go out of my way, but, like, if you need something, I'm going to be, like, really cool and generous about it. It took me a while to, to vibe with that. That's pretty funny. So, wait, where are you right now? Uh, so, Amherst, Massachusetts is, like, uh, I teach at Amherst College, and we live in Amherst, like, the town, sort of right by the college. Um, so it's in like Western Mass, like two hours west of Boston. I dig that vibe. I dig it. Yeah, there's a lot of liter- literary stuff happening out here. Um, it's it's a pretty good place. I imagine it'd just be a really beautiful place to write in, in general, too. That's my dorkiness I'm bringing to the table, but oh, my yeah. Midwest area is pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, are you like in like Chicago, like city or like... I'm in Mount Prospect right now, but I used to live in Chicago proper. Cool. But, yeah. like, I could see the Sears Tower from my roof right now, so... What? <laughs> Obviously, like, there is that closeness. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, my grandparents used to live up in Chicago, so we would go there from time to time. And, like, and I read there once recently, like, more as an adult. And there's just something so magical about, like, the city itself and then, like, the sprawl. And there's just, like, it's truly huge. And it's truly, like, cold in the winter. And I don't know. It's just, it's all right there. And it's all, like, in the Midwest, like... After being, you know, I'd, like, go to New York, and I'd be like, wow, this is so, like, you know, outside of my thing that I know about. But then to, like, I don't know, Chicago is, like, the Midwestern version of that. It took me a while to realize, like, the weird magic of the skyscrapers can happen in that context, too. I think we're, like, a kinder, gentler version of New York and cleaner. Yeah. Yeah. Kinder, gentler. Cleaner. that. And we're really more of neighborhoods as opposed to boroughs. Like, our downtown area is just really small, if you consider like that. And then the city is really just all neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. Like, resembling more places like Brooklyn or something like that. It's weird, like, living in a specific place. Especially now when it, like, you can kind of exist online and that's, like, where your, like, self is in some ways and like but then you like have a body i don't know we're just getting trippy all over the place aren't we (laughs) i know (laughs) like this is no longer a literary music podcast this is us trying to figure out our own existence podcast yeah well like it's always like you gotta figure it out (laughs) gotta try (laughs) so i like that you asked me about your playlist yesterday so would you say that this playlist, by the way, I love healing, feeling, reeling, perfect. Um, Glad you got that, yeah. It's different because there's so many fucking textual healing podcasts out there right now. So nice addition. Do you feel like this encompasses the kind of music you would write to? Or is this the kind of music that like is almost like a soundtrack to your writing? Yeah, I think it's, like, the soundtrack, like, to the movie of, like, you know, my life as an author or whatever, (laughs) like, or or as, like, an artist person perceiving things in the world. Like, I think the way I, like, built a playlist was to kind of chart, like, the narrative of, like, the type of stuff I was listening to, like, kind of starting in my, like, mid-teens and then, like, ending toward now. I feel like... I, I could never listen to this stuff when I'm writing because it's like it's mostly it's pretty I don't even lyrical. Know what, yeah, it's a lot of lyrics and it's pretty high energy, like sort of pop punky, like emo pop punk sort of stuff, and then like Modest Mouse and like you know stuff like that. It, yeah, I, I couldn't listen to it when I was writing, but it did. I think like weirdly, and and it's the reason why I'm glad it's like such a big part of your podcast. Like it made me think about how like the aesthetics of these bands like really influenced the way I think about art, I guess. Like there's a certain weirdness and especially like Modest Mouse, which was like my favorite band for a long time. There's like this like weirdness and kind of like noodly, like experimental nature, but there's also a lot of like generosity and kind of like harmonies and, um, just like nice sounds that are also in the music, at least in their earlier stuff. And like that kind of balance between like kind of simple, almost like typical song structures, but also like 
kind of strange textures and like you know we we're talking about the word off kilter like positively off kilter like approaches to the world i feel like that stuff like really got in me you know i was just listening to music because i thought it was cool music you know but somehow like i think it really has influenced like how i like want to want to come across or like want to communicate you know as a writer mm-hmm. it's weird i mean I, like i'm trying to think of like other so there's also like i don't know i was just listening to like brand new like your favorite weapon and then deja into duo i was like on a long car ride so i was like listening to like brand new's first two albums in the car and it's like so weird it brings back this time where i was like i remember just being like so like intensely full of feeling and so like i don't know if it was like angsty or what but i was just like driving i was just like super lost like on purpose driving like way too fast through like neighborhoods in a part of town like i had no idea where i was and like i just remember this sense of like okay i'm alive i like don't remember i don't know why i remember this but like i just remember it being this feeling of like ah yes this is art happening for me this like 16 year old like guy who likes to play football and run track and goes to this all boys school like here's this emotion happening that's like breaking through the facade of all that and it's like weirdly these dudes who are like not afraid to be emotional and they're kind of emotional in like an angry way but like it's also like kind of a sad way and I, I don't know you know it just feels like music was like the way that those kinds of emotions could break through for me in like a context where like that wasn't happening in other ways I'm clearly so trying to figure this out but I would say that this playlist and obviously writing in general is what made me like be like what when you said like broy like your music definitely has like an early emo vibe yeah definitely I, like i mean especially like the take you back sunday and the brand new like the say anything like yeah yeah it's it's like canonical you know it's like a certain canonical like little moment yeah so you I, definitely never identified like that though um, like as like an emo person, you know, I don't think so. I don't know. But I also, <laughs> I played in this like goofy band with a couple of my friends for like a couple minutes where we would just play like Blink-182 covers, like in the attic of my house. Um, so like, yeah, I mean, I was like into music and I guess I would like, you know, occasionally wear something that I thought maybe looked emo <laughs> or something, but like. I don't know, like, how did people even know what what you did to be emo, you know? Like, I feel like I wasn't tuned in in that way. I only became, like, aware of emo because my brother kept picking on me <laughs> and calling me emo, and he, like, sent me that one YouTube song. I don't know if anyone remembers that YouTube song called Emo Kid. Uh, I, I don't think I ever encountered it. It's It's not the kind of song that would be seen as acceptable today, but... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it, it it definitely is like whoa, this is so like mean, but yeah. So that's why I got a little bit more understanding that I was kind of in that crowd, and there are some of my friends back then who are like almost like caricatures of what an emo was. Yeah, it was definitely like, I 
I feel like there I would I would like experience people who were like into a certain music culture like that, and it'd always be kind of like in awe, you know, because like I never understood like I guess you just kind of look it up on the internet and then start dressing that way and hanging out with people who listen to the same music. I don't know, but I think like I guess I wasn't that performative of a person or like that conscious about like tailoring my identity I just kind of like wear whatever clothes were around and like kind of hang out with whoever was around and you know this like music was really moving me and like doing a lot and and this like making me feel so like seen but I think like it took me a long time to realize like oh yeah you can actually like pour your life into something that you're that you're interested in and that you love you know I don't think I realized that so when you had, did, was it just like you and your friends screwing around with instruments or did you ever actually try and like pull together a band? We, we would play and like write really stupid, like Blink-182 influenced songs uh, from time to time, like just in the attic. I don't think we ever played in front of real people, but like I had, there was another friend who I like, we would play like acoustic guitar together and we played in front of people a couple of times and then there was like this music fest at my school and, and a few uh, guys got together and like introduced me to some of like the cool, like um, old school, you know, like joy division and stuff like that. Um, and like the Smiths, we were playing songs from them that I had literally never heard in my life. Like I didn't even know who the bands were. Um, and we were playing those at like my high school's music fest when I was like a senior in high school. So like I like one taste of like being on stage with a guitar, like, trying my best to like hold it together through like some guitar solos. Uh, but like, yeah, it was still like one of those things where like, I really liked it. And I like had these weird, like day fantasies of like, yeah, what if I was on stage with a guitar, you know, like kind of being seen for this type of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I, I guess in a way, I didn't like love it enough or something or like quite know how to like hook into it. Like language was always like a thing I could just like hook into immediately. Like nobody else had to be there. I could just like write a poem or like write something or whatever. And music was like, this is like so visceral and so important for me, but like, like how do I like, like do this, you know? Do you play any instruments still? No, I mean, I'll, I'll, I know how to, like, play chords and stuff on the guitar and if I pick it up again, but I haven't, like, properly played for for a long time. It's like, I don't know, I can imagine being in the woods with, like, an acoustic guitar or mandolin or something. For oh, my some, God. Like, the book, yeah. Yeah, that's it. There was such, I had such a formative experience when I was, like, I want to say... I don't know, yeah, 16 or 17. I think it's the reason I started playing guitar. Like, this guy, um, maybe I was, like, 14. I was at this, like, camp, you know, like a summer camp in West Virginia with with a friend of mine, and one night we were sitting around the um, fire, and one of the camp counselors brought out a guitar and started singing songs. And I remember he played, um, I think it's Led Zeppelin's Over the Hills and Far Away, if I remember it right. And he played this song, and then, like, people were singing along and and there was just like the sense of community I was like this is literally the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life like so that's weird I haven't thought about that moment forever but like yeah that's when 
that's when it all began, I guess. It's definitely a euphoria that you get too. Oh my God. Yeah. You're just like, I'm in community. I'm like experiencing art. Like life suddenly seems like it has meaning. It's kind of intriguing that like when it comes to music, you could almost tell that everyone's having the same feeling at the same time almost. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure that that always translates well, like into writing. Like if you were to like get up and have a reading. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like people would start like analyzing it in their own like weird ways. Like, you know, not everyone's going to be experiencing it the same way when you just read your writing as opposed to music. Yeah, that's weird. I feel like you're totally right that it's a lot of times at readings, it's like a bunch of people in the same room having totally different experiences. And like at a concert or something, you're just like, yeah, we're on this like really deeply shared, like emotional plane. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Do you go to a lot of shows? Uh, I haven't been to many lately. I mean, I'm going to do a reading this weekend. That, that'll nice. be intriguing. <laughs> Like a re- like reading like at a concert or something. It's like, gonna be a mixture. It's uh at a record store, half literary reading, half uh like bands and everything. Oh, I love that. Those are the best yeah. ones. Yeah, I have to say, like I a couple times I've encountered like the poetry with like a jazz band in the background thing, like, um, and it's just like awesome because it's like there's words you can think about it you can have your experience but there's also this music going on Mm -hmm. like i don't know i'm down with the combo i mean the cool thing with that is then like you have the right like your mind's being clicked into the oh this is the mood i'm supposed to slowly be going into yeah 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 do you do any like literary readings yeah, I do. Like, I mean, if people ask me, I guess I, I'm not super good at setting them up, you know, like um, and, and my life is like a little more insular now because of like parenthood and like some level of focus on the teaching. But uh, I, I honestly like to. And it's really nice to share the work in front of people and just have conversations afterwards and kind of be give like little interpretations of the work or like say little things about it. I like to I like to kind of have that conversation. I even had this like kind of dream of like starting to do like improvisational um like readings, like making up stuff on the spot, which I think I need to practice more before I ever actually do that, but I'm like really interested in the idea of like how you can make a literary reading which can sometimes be a little bit like like you said just a bunch of people like had kind of having their own analytical experience of the text. Like how do you make that into like something like a little more visceral, like a little more uncomfortable and like present, you know? See, I wouldn't even pretend to know, but if you figure that out, let me know. Yeah. You mean like how to like, how to do that? Yeah. How to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm also just down to listen to people's work, just, you know, read straight through and everything. Like this is something beautiful about storytelling. I think it would be really cool if you can get, like, an interaction between the listeners and yourself. That's definitely very hard to grab that. Yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I feel like... You want to take them out of, like, this passive existence, and you want them to be involved almost. Yeah. So they're not stuck in their own heads. 
And you don't want to, like, challenge people in, like, an aggressive way. Like, I think I used to try to do that by being, like, loud or taking up a lot of space or whatever. But, yeah, like, how can you do that while also kind of making people feel, like, safe? Or, like, put on the spot or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, if you did that to me right now, I'd be like, no. Like, do not deal with me. I'm just a passive audience member. Like, you need to figure out the right way. Yeah, like, I just want to, like, sit here. Yeah. And have to listen to you because I'm concentrating on my own work. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like, how how could how could you, like, get people to go to literary readings if they knew they were going to be, like, caught up on stage and, I don't know, pull, like, a handkerchief out of their ear or something? You have to almost, like, advertise it in a way of this is going to be an entertainment thing, not just a you sit down on a chair and listen to me read at you for yeah. a few hours. Oh, my God. Then you have to really deliver, though. I, I've been to some cool ones, and I've heard of some really cool vibes, too. So I've just been making the rounds lately and seeing what other people do. It's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely shouldn't uh, pretend like I, like, <laughs> like all the literary readings I've been to are bad or anything. I feel like I just so many people just have this vibe that's just captivating, and they could say anything, and I'd just be like, yeah, I'm following your language, you know, and... Even if, like, sometimes I have a hard time following, like, spoken language, you know, but there's just just being there with a person who's, like, sharing something in, like, a conscious way. It's it's ex- it's intimate, you know? It's, it's, like, exposing. and Yeah, maybe that's, maybe that's some of the magic for me, too, like, kind of the reason I like sharing stuff out loud. So have you done any readings of this most recent work? Uh... No, except for off the record for you. Like, I that was it. I think that was, like, literally the only time I've read from this book as a book so far. I'm going to do some stuff probably coming up um, in a couple... It's kind of like a... I'm thinking of it as, like, sort of like a slower launch of the book, just, like, doing a bunch of stuff over several months. Do a slow Um, roll. Yeah, slow roll. And, yeah, but, like, I don't know. I think it's kind of, like, in a way, it's just, like, you know, it's waiting for the moment when I'll, when I'll do more of that stuff. Do you think like in the beginning of the events to get people 